0: The start of the Word of God this morning. We have the privilege of baptizing one of the children of the congregation, and we're going to read in this connection from the book of Psalms, Psalm number eight. And you can find this on page 529 of your Pew Bible, Psalm number eight. to the chief musician on the instrument of Gath, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, Even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. The text for the sermon this morning is verse 2 of this psalm Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, (coughs) you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. A very high view of children. The Bible says that children are a heritage of the Lord. It pronounces a blessing on the man who has his quiver full of them. In the New Testament, when the disciples chased away some parents who wanted Jesus to bless their children. Jesus was angry. And he said to the disciples, let the little children come to me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. The apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 14 calls the children of believers Holy. And in his letter to the Ephesians, he he addresses children specifically. Children also played an important role in the history of redemption. We think of Samuel, who as a little boy was called by the Lord to be his prophet. And as a young boy already, he prophesied to Eli about what would happen to him and to his house. We can think too of Naaman's servant girl who when she heard that her master had leprosy expressed the desire that her master would go to the land of Israel and there meet with Elisha who she was convinced would be able to cleanse him from his leprosy. Jesus on one occasion actually took a child and set the child in the midst of the disciples as an example of what we must become in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But of all of the roles assigned to children in the Scriptures, one of the most remarkable is contained here in our text this morning in Psalm 8, verse 2. It's a well-known psalm in the Psalm David praises God for the work of his creation, and he zeroes in particularly on the creation of man. Man, he says, was made a little lower than the angels. He was crowned with glory and honor. God made him to have dominion over the works of his hands. He has put all things under his feet, sheep and oxen, all the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and And when David considers all of this, when he thinks about this, he's amazed, he's overwhelmed, and he exclaims in verse 4, What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him? But before going there, before focusing on man, David, in verse 2, praises God for what he does by the mouth of children. Little children David says, Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. This is an amazing statement. A profound statement. David here is telling us that God uses little children to defend the honor of his name and to manifest his power over and against his enemies well the help of the lord this is what we want to reflect on for a few moments this morning and we're going to look at this text under this theme little children god's surprising defense little children god's surprising defense we'll consider first of all the enemy he encounters secondly the weapon he uses And thirdly, the victory he achieves. The words of our text this morning portray our God in a unique circumstance. God is pictured here in our text as being surrounded by enemies. David knew a thing or two about enemies. David himself was often surrounded by enemies, and it was the enemies that often caused him to cry out to the Lord for help. It was the attacks of the enemies that often prompted him to write the various psalms that are collected in the book of Psalms. Well, here, it's not David who's surrounded by enemies, but it is God himself who is surrounded by enemies. Something strange about that picture. Because normally when we think of God, we think of him on his throne in heaven, surrounded by angels who are worshipping him and praising him, and the saints who have gone on before us doing the same, in his glory, in his majesty, in his power. But God is not in the throne room of heaven in this verse. He is on earth. And the enemies are surrounding him. The enemies are attacking him. Oh, who are these enemies? Well, they are those who do not acknowledge him. They are those people who do not recognize him, who do not love him, who do not serve him. You can break down the enemies of God into three broad categories. There are those who deny his existence and openly oppose him. These are avowed atheists. An atheist is somebody who doesn't believe in God. He denies the existence of God. He says there's no scientific evidence to prove that there is a God. And so God is just a figment of man's imagination. He's a crutch that we use in order to get through the hard times of life. The enemies of God also include those who do not openly oppose him, nor do they deny his existence necessarily, but they live as though he did not exist. Now these people can be religious or they can be non-religious. Religious enemies of God are people who go to church, who read the Bible, who claim to be trusting in Christ, but they don't put it into practice. They're they're one person on Sunday when they're in the assembly of God's people, but they're another person during the week. These are enemies of God. Or they deny important doctrines of the Word of God. There are people, for example, who claim to be Christians, and churches that claim to be Christian churches who teach, in essence, that faith in Christ is not enough. And that in order to be saved, we not only have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we also have to add to that our works. So, in essence, it becomes a salvation by works. There are other churches, Protestant churches, liberal Protestant churches, who deny. The authority and the inerrancy of Holy Scripture who deny the virgin birth and the miracles of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. They deny that marriage must be between one man and one woman or that homosexuality is not a sin. These people don't oppose God. They believe in God. They affirm his existence. They even claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. Some of them are ministers and professors in seminaries in North America and in Europe and in other places of the world. But they're enemies of God because they do not acknowledge God. They think and act as though God did not exist and they do not take his words seriously. And then there are people who aren't religious at all, but they're very nice people. Maybe you know people like that. Maybe you work with people like that. They're outwardly decent. They're outwardly kind. They're outwardly moral and upright. They're the kind of people you would love to have as your neighbor. But they don't believe in God. They don't openly oppose him. And they they say, well, if you believe in God, that's fine for you. Well, it's not good for me. I don't believe in any of that. But they're still decent folk. They may be decent folk, but they're enemies of God. And then there are people in our world who are very religious, but they worship the wrong God. They worship a God of their own imagination. I'm thinking about Jews. I'm thinking about Muslims. I'm thinking about Hindus, Buddhists, even Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, great people, wonderful people. Some of them are friends and and neighbors, but, but they worship a false god. They worship a god of their own making, of their own imagination, and as such they too are enemies of God. And behind all of these enemies, of course, is the devil himself. The devil is the arch enemy of God. And he uses man <coughs> in his attempts to topple God from his throne and to establish his own kingdom here on earth. And there's a war that's been going on from the very beginning of time, and it's going on still today. It's the war between the seed of the woman on the one hand and the seed of the serpent on the other. This has been waging. This war has been waged for thousands of years. It's still being waged today. Now the outcome, of course, is going to be victory for God. When you read about that in the Book of Revelation, uh, again and again and again, as you go through each one of those cycles in Revelation, it all these ends in victory for the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, there's conflict. In the meantime, there's a war being waged, and God is surrounded by the enemies. And Psalm 2 speaks of that too. Doesn't it? remember there God is portrayed as being seated on his throne and the enemies are, are, are count, taking counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing saying, against his anointing, saying, let us break their bonds from us. This is the world. The world is seeking constantly to plot against God, to overthrow the reign of God upon this world. And so here is God and he's, he's surrounded by these enemies. behind of whom is the devil himself now how does God respond to this what does God do about this well we might think that God would simply just crush them (laughs) he could do that and one day he will but not yet Instead, God defends himself, and he does this using the most surprising weapon. What is that weapon? Well, if we had to defend ourselves against an enemy, we would use a gun or a knife or a hand grenade or any one of thousands of ways that man has invented to kill and to maim. but God doesn't do that. He doesn't need that does God use? He uses children. Little children. Not mighty angels. Not thunder and lightning and an earthquake. He uses the weakest means imaginable. He uses little children. Specifically he uses their mouths. That's what it says in our text of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies. Now who are these babes and nursing infants? Well, many commentators interpret this metaphorically <coughs> to refer to weak people. Our Psalter does that too. We sang from Psalter 15, Uh, before the sermon and there you have that line weakest means fulfill thy will so there's an interpretation there about what this psalm is saying and I'm not saying it's wrong but this is a metaphorical interpretation it's a figurative interpretation so the babes and sucklings are not referring to actual children at all but rather to to weak means so for example uh, some commentators have said that this is figuratively referring to David. David is talking about himself here, (coughs) and he's reflecting on the time that he killed Goliath. Now, who was David when he killed Goliath? He was just a, a young man, inexperienced in the art of warfare. He was, metaphorically speaking, a babe and a nursing infant, at least compared to Goliath. And yet God used him to destroy Goliath, and thus also the Philistine army. Some have said, this is an oblique reference to the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who for all outward appearances were really babes and nursing infants, spiritually speaking. They were very immature, they didn't have a lot of knowledge. Uh, they didn't see things so clearly. They were babes. They were nursing infants. And Jesus, on one occasion, even said, "Father, I thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes." He was talking about his disciples. Now, others have said this is this is uh, really a reference to all believers, not just the disciples, but <coughs> but to all believers who are spiritually speaking, little children. Uh, We're nothing. What are we? We're just ordinary people. Every one of us, I look around here in this room, I look at myself, who are we? Uh, We're not brilliant people. We're not particularly smart, intelligent, powerful, rich. Paul makes mention of that, right, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, not many mighty are called, Uh, not many rich, right, but God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. This is what the church consists of. It consists of spiritually speaking it consists of nursing babes and infants and now there's truth to all of these interpretations but there's no reason not to interpret this literally there's no reason not to interpret this to refer to actual little children and jesus does this actually if you look in your bible just turn with me to matthew 21 for a moment (coughs) matthew 21 i'll just give you the context jesus and the disciples were uh, making their way to Jerusalem. Um, Within a few hours, Jesus would be arrested and put to death and you remember uh, the story how they found a donkey and they put Jesus on the donkey and they laid down their coats and they waved palm branches in the air and they welcomed the Lord Jesus into Jerusalem and they cried Hosanna to the son of David blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord Hosanna in the highest and then Jesus arrived in the temple in Jerusalem and he drives out all those who bought and sold in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he, and he healed, it says, many who were lame and, and blind. And, and there was a group of children there in the temple. And they saw these things and they heard the words of the Lord Jesus. And spontaneously, this group of children begins to cry, Hosanna to the Son of David! Hosanna to the Son of David! The same words that they heard their parents shout as Jesus was making his way into Jerusalem. And then when we read here, we read here that the chief priests and the scribes, when they heard this, when they heard these children shouting, Hosanna to the Lord, they were very upset and they came to Jesus and they asked him, do you hear what these children are saying? And, and by implication, they're saying, Put a stop to it. This is blasphemy. They're essentially saying that you're God. This is wrong at so many levels. Jesus put a stop to it. But Jesus refused. And then he proceeded to quote the words of our text. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? Now, if you've been paying attention, you will notice that there's a difference between the words that Jesus quotes here in Matthew 21 and the original Psalm 8, verse 2. Uh, Jesus here, the the reason for the difference is because Jesus here is quoting from the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. Now, The Hebrew Old Testament says out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength. As our new King James has it. But the Septuagint says out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise. Now there's a difference between those two things. Not a huge difference, there's a connection between them. But there is a difference. And by quoting the Septuagint, Jesus here is telling us that this is the meaning of the original Hebrew. He's telling us that God has ordained, or we could say appointed, chosen, babes and nursing infants in order to perfect his praise. In other words, God has appointed little children to praise him in perfection. Now, and you think that through, I can imagine some of you maybe objecting to this and say, but hold it a minute. Babes and nursing infants cannot speak. How can babes and nursing infants, like little Mia this morning, how can she perfect praise to God? Well, there's a mystery here. John the Baptist did. You remember the account when Mary came into the home of Elizabeth and greeted Elizabeth and what happened in Elizabeth's womb the baby John the Baptist began to leap with joy because he was in the presence of the promised Messiah and that made him so excited he was leaping in Elizabeth's womb there is a mystery here we cannot fully grasp I jokingly said to Matt and Emily in the consistory room before the service, Mia was being a little bit fussy and and she cried and, and, um, you know, Matt said, yeah, she's kind of, or Emily said, yeah, she's kind of miserable this morning. And I thought about the text and I thought, well, maybe she's praising God in her own way. I don't know. You don't know. But one thing we can say is that God uses these little children. Certainly when they become older and they begin to uh, formulate words and sentences and they begin to grasp who God is in, in very simple ways but, but very striking ways and they begin to sing and, and it's wonderful to see that, isn't it? When you see little children in church singing sometimes they just make noise. You know, ah, bah, bah you know, they, just, they, don't, they don't know what they're singing, they but they're joining in with the congregation and they're singing praise to God in their own infantile way. God notices that. He respects that. Children, parents, never discourage your children from singing in church to His praise. Teach them how to sing. Teach them the Psalters. Cause them to memorize the Psalters. Teach them other good Christian songs. Put the CD in the CD player in your car when you're driving from one place to the we used to do that with our kids all the time. (coughs) They learned so many songs on vacation and just driving back and forth to church. And God loves this. He loves to hear the children sing because you see our children are not ordinary children yes they're sinners just like every other child that's ever born from whatever family across the entire world we confess that in the form for baptism our children are conceived and born in sin and therefore are children of wrath we confess that sadly that is a reality for all of our children yet The Word of God says they are sanctified in Christ because they're children of believers. They're children of the covenant. And oh, how God loves to hear the singing, the praising of children of the covenant. As they gather together in the assembly of the people of God, as they, as they do their Christmas program or other programs in the Sunday school, and you see them sitting there on the steps and they're singing with all of their heart, God sees that. And that's the weapon that he uses. This is a surprising weapon. We would not expect this of God. But this is the weapon that he uses and it is very effective. That's our third point. Because David says here that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Now the word silence here can also be translated as put to flight. We sing that Psalter, right? God shall arise and by his might put all his enemies to flight. That's the same word here. (coughs) He causes his enemies, he uses little children to cause his enemies to run away, to scatter. Now we see this, don't we, in the account of Jesus in the temple. The little children were crying Hosanna to the son of David, chief priests and the scribes begged Jesus to tell them to stop, but Jesus defended them. And he said, in essence, that these children are only doing what God has appointed them to do. To defend the honor of his name. Because those scribes and Pharisees, they did not acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah. They hated him. They were at that very moment plotting to put him to death. And God raises up these little children Not the mighty, not the powerful, not the intellectual, not the elites. But these little children, to vindicate him, to declare who he is, the son of David, the promised Messiah. And so Jesus refused. It's as though he said, bring it on children, sing it louder, sing it. With all of your might, tell them who I am because you know they don't. With all of their knowledge, with all of their sophistication, they have no clue who I am. But you know. So you just keep on singing. And what was the reaction of the scribes and the chief priests? What does the text say? It says nothing. They were silenced. Silenced. And God can still use little children like that today. You set the most hardened atheist in front of a group of children who are singing God's praise. And how will he respond? Well, he may not like it. He may feel sorry for these children because they're so duped by their parents. They may even seethe in anger, but they won't say a word because you don't interrupt children who are singing with all of their heart. You set this same man, this avowed atheist in front of a child and you invite the atheist to pepper the child with as many difficult questions as he can think of. And the atheist takes up the challenge and he says, little child, tell me, does God exist? And the child says, yeah? Prove it! He's in my heart. Did God create all things? The little child will say, Yes. How do you know? Because the Bible tells me so. Is faith in Christ the only way to be saved? Yes. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what will the man respond? How will he respond? What will he say in response to those answers? He will say nothing at all. Because nobody can argue with a child who so sincerely believes in his heart what he's saying not even a heart an atheist and in this way God silences the enemy he doesn't need nuclear bombs he doesn't need planes he doesn't need guns he just uses little children in a sermon on this text Charles Spurgeon recalls seeing uh, cannons you know you've seen cannons before they're on (laughs) you can still go to europe today you go to these old castles and and you see cannons on the tops of the walls of the castles and and uh, in the old days uh, at least in england they would inscribe into the cannon uh, these words the last argument of kings what they were saying by that was that when all negotiations with the enemy end in failure, the only recourse you have is to go to war and to blast them with a cannon. Spurgeon recalls seeing this and he says in his sermon, and I quote, the gracious arguments of the king of kings are sent home by a human mouth and that is of a little child. Children, their mouths are the last argument of the King of Kings. Now we can learn at least two lessons here, and I must be brief. Firstly, we learn here that if God can use babes and nursing infants to silence his enemies, then how great is his power? How great is the power of God? He can overcome the greatest difficulty. He can solve the greatest problem. He can save and sanctify the greatest sinner. He can do anything. Nothing is impossible for him. But secondly, if God can use babes and nursing infants to silence his enemies, then how weak are his enemies? We sometimes think that the enemies that we're facing in this world are so powerful you know, we look at the politicians and we look at, at the elites of the world, the political elites, and the people in our position of power and influence, and we think, oh, you know, we tremble before these people. Because they got such powerful, they exercise exor- they, such power and they exercise such tremendous influence. But beloved, why should we be afraid of them? Why should we be afraid? Of the powers of this world. They're nothing to God. They're like a drop in the bucket. Isaiah says. And yet we, we quake and we fear in front of these people and we wonder, Oh, the terrible direction that they're that they're taking us. Yes, it is a terrible direction that they're taking us in, no doubt, but we shouldn't have to fear them. We don't quake and fear, we don't we don't go to our bomb shelters and huddle and, and, and oh, you know, the world's coming to an end and you know all is despair and hopeless. We're not afraid we don't live our lives in fear because the enemies of God they're nothing they're silenced by little children or to bring it a little closer to home why should you be afraid of that coworker who curses and swears and you know you need to confront him you know you need to tell him he needs to stop using the name of God in vain but you're afraid why should you be afraid or what about that friend or that neighbor or that brother and sister in the church who's living in sin and you know about it and you're afraid to confront them? Why should you be afraid? Or that professor in college or university who, who constantly makes fun of the Bible and Christians and who regularly takes God's name in vain. Why should you be afraid of him? weakest means fulfill the will of god if god is for us who can be against us if god uses little children he can do anything the lord jesus christ himself set the pattern didn't he when he was a lad of only 12 years of age where was he was in the temple and the doctors of the law were questioning him asking him really hard questions and jesus was answering them and they were astonished already then God was using a child to silence the enemy and the avenger and that was only the beginning because when Jesus grew up and became a man and began his public ministry many times he was attacked and criticized and slandered by his enemies sometimes he said nothing at all in response to them as he did in his trial before Pontius Pilate and and Herod and the religious leaders of the Jews in comparison to them he was a weak means a carpenter's son from Nazareth in Galilee and yet in him was such power such influence that the enemies of God were silenced on account of him And so he sets the pattern. He marks the path. He expects us to follow in behind him. Christ silences the enemy and the avenger. And one day, one day, beloved, he will silence them for good. When he comes on the clouds of heaven and every eye shall behold him. And then every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And they will have nothing more to say. And there will be a terrible silence in the world as the damned are being cast into hell. And the only thing that they will then sound from their mouth are the shrieks of terror and agony as they realize that for their whole life they were wrong about Him. And now they must suffer the consequences of their actions. God is still surrounded by enemies today but beloved let us not fear the enemies of God are nothing they're silenced by mere nursing infants and babes oh may God be pleased to use our little children to silence the enemy and the avenger and may we as parents and grandparents raise up our children that they may be valiant defenders of God, and that they may perfect praise to his glory. Amen.